I'm going to mute people for now. Do you want to take questions afterwards? Do you want to open up for questions afterwards? They have particular questions for call. Okay. You might want to announce that. Uh, yeah. Okay. Make sure it's charging off. Right. Thank you. Okay, tov everyone. Our uh, usual Parsha Shir uh, is going to be devoted today to uh, a general overview of uh, Shemitah, the 5782, this year that begins next week, Rosh Hashanah, is a Shemitah year. Now, there are a few basic ideas that I hope to explain. And then if you have any particular questions regarding a particular subject, please feel free to call me and we'll be ignorant together. But uh, it is not as complex certainly should not be frightening as people make it out to be. The ways of the Torah are always pleasant. The Torah does not come to impose hardships. But it comes to give us opportunities. The Shemitah is a great opportunity. And the Torah says, Vishov Sa'oret Shabbos Lashem. The earth, the land of Israel, which is representative of the earth and of this world, has its own Shabbat. Just as in all creation, there is a Shabbat. So we humans have a Shabbat once a week. The land of Israel has a Shabbat once every seven years. Now, there's a general idea of Shemitah, and then there are the particulars of the Halakha. The uh, question of what year is this Shemitah year has been a question that has been under discussion uh, since the destruction of the temple. There are different opinions as to which year the temple was destroyed. Translating it into our terms, into our calendar, there are those who say 68 of the common era and those who say 70 of the common era. That would make a difference as to which year is the Shemitah. 
So there are different opinions as to the date of the Shemitah itself. You should bear that in mind. Our count is according to the uh, Gaonim in the 7th and 8th centuries in Babylonia. And our count is based on the fact that the temple was destroyed in 70. However, we have here immediately one issue. Are we counting the right year? There's a second issue. And that is, there's an opinion in the Talmud that the Yovel year, the 50th year, is not counted in the Shemitah cycle. In other words, you have seven, you have seven years, then Yovel, then year one again. Or Yovel is year one of the next Shemitah cycle. So that is another issue that is in doubt as to the count of the Shemitah. We have a third point. I'm explaining why with Shemitah, uh, the rabbis searched for so many leniencies. So many loopholes. Whereas in other halachas, we find that they did not do so. And part of the reason there are all these doubts. We're not sure of the year even. And uh, This is a a point that has to be borne in mind. Now, the Talmud teaches us that when the Jewish people came into the land of Israel the first time, under Yoshua Binun, the the arrival of the Jewish people and of Yoshua sanctify the land, Kidsha Lashaita. It made the land holy. The land is holy because the Jewish people are holy. When the temple was destroyed, and here we have another problem. When was the temple, the first temple destroyed? And there there's a wide discrepancy whether uh, beginning at 586 before the Common Era and going down to 420 before the Common Era. So there's 166 years of doubt. But when the first temple was destroyed, the Jewish people went into exile, 90% to Babylonia, 10% to Egypt. And the holiness of the land ended. 
There was no Gedusha in Eretz Yisrael anymore. 70 years later, the Oleg Bovel, those who returned from Bovel, under Ezra, sanctified the land once more. But this time they said they're sanctifying the land for all time, for all eternity. Whether there are Jews there, whether there are not, whether the temple is there, or whether it isn't, the land is now holy. Kitsha l'shaito l'atid lavo. So, that being the case, uh, then the Shemitah is in effect because of the fact that the land is holy and the, 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 the uh, laws, uh, the agricultural laws all apply. However, because in the time of the Second Temple, the majority population of the Jews in the world did not live in the land of Israel. There were major centers of Jewish life and society in Egypt, uh, in Rome, in Babylonia, all around the Mediterranean basin and as far as Europe as well. So the Gemara teach, teaches us that at a time, most of the Jewish people are not in the land of Israel. There is no Dean of Shemitah. So the Gemara said, we'll accept that as a Torah law. There's no Shemitah Minat Torah. But we don't want to forget about Shemitah. Uh, the task was always to keep Eretz Israel in the forefront of the minds of the Jewish people, even if they're living in Shnippeshuk. So therefore, the laws of Shemitah still applied Midrabanan as a rabbinic decree, which is a lesser level. So we have two uh, loopholes in the leniency immediately. When is Shemitah? And even if we know when it is, it is the Rabbanan, it's not the right, uh, it's not a Torah law. There will come a time, perhaps within the near future, we hope, that it'll be Rov Yoshveo Aleha. Most of the Jewish people will reside in the land of Israel. When that happens, the entire process of how we commemorate Shemitah will have to be rethought and reevaluated. And I'm sure there'll be different opinions. But right now we're dealing with these two facts. 
that Shemitah is the Rabbanan, and that even though by tradition 5782 is a Shemitah year, we cannot guarantee that it is a Shemitah year because of the fact that there are different opinions as to the dates. Bearing this in mind, now we enter into uh, the uh, details of this commemoration of the Shemitah. So uh, the issue never really arose until the uh, late 16th and early 17th centuries when there was a Jewish population in the Galil, the heyday of Tzvat, Tveria, when they basically uh, 10, 15,000 Jewish exiles from Spain came and settled in the north of the country. Among them were great Talmidei Chachomim. Yosef Karo, the author of the Shulchan Aruch, the Mabit, Reb Moshe, Ben Yosef Trani, Reb Yaakov Be'rav, the great Talmidei Chachomim. And uh, they are the ones that uh, began to deal with the Shemitah issue. They didn't see it as a problem. They saw it as an issue. There's a difference. However, for various reasons, after about 60, 70 years, this Jewish settlement in the Galilee petered out. Economically, it was not viable. Uh, the Arabs were very hostile. The European powers weren't interested in the country yet. So there's a hiatus of about 200 years when the Shemitah is hardly discussed. Beginning in the 18th century, there's a slow trickle of Sephardic and European Jews coming back to live in the land of Israel. Jews from Yemen and Bukharan, from Lithuania, from Poland, from the Austro-Hungarian Empire, Uh, why then, you know, that's on That's part of the secret. What impelled them? But nevertheless, all of a sudden, it is renewed. Uh, the uh, One of the disciples of the Gaon of Vilna Rabbi Yisrael of Shklov uh, settles in Tzvat and he says, look, uh, the Jewish people are returning. There's going to be Jewish farmers. 
we have to uh, revive all of the laws of agriculture that appear in the Talmud and in the Torah. We're going to have Truma and Maser and Orla and Kali. All of the laws are going to be here. And Shemitah is going to be here too. And since uh, for hundreds of years, no one really uh, concentrated on the study of those laws, there was very little literature on the matter, rabbinic literature. And uh, the Meiri already writes in the 14th century, he said in my yeshiva, we only learn three of the six sections of the Mishnah and the Talmud. We only learn Noshim, Nezikin, and Moed. We don't learn Zroim or Taharos or Kodshim because they have to do their Tzisrael and we don't have our Tzisrael. It's not practical. So Rabbi Yisrael of Shklov sits down and writes a sefer called the Pa'as HaShulchan. The Pa'as HaShulchan is a very, very famous sefer. It's the basis still today of all of the agricultural laws and observances that are instituted in the land of Israel. It may not be a very popular cipher, but it is uh, really uh, one of the pillars of Israeli society today. You go to Machna Yehuda and they got a sign, everything's taken care of. Who took care of it? How did they take care of it? Without the Pasa Shulchan, it would be impossible for us to even to begin uh, to organize the system. Uh, so the Pasach Shulchan is published in the early 1800s. And then there is a Jewish settlement in Yerushalayim. And the Jewish settlement in Yerushalayim, which was called the Yishuv Hayashan, the old Yishuv, the original one, when Shemitah came, so they looked at it in this fashion. They were not nationalistic. They did not envision a Jewish state. They were waiting for the Messiah. They were not going to push the envelope. But they're living in the land of Israel and they want to eat on the seventh year. So the first principle is that the food is not usher. The vegetables, the fruits, the grain that grows is not treif. There's no problem in eating the fruit. The problem arises in creating business running, let's say, a vegetable shop, because in the seventh year, everything is supposed to be hefker. Anybody can come in the, to one observe Shemitah, and you have a beautiful fruit tree in your garden, 
unlock the gate and say, anybody who wants to come and take from my truth, fruit, go, go right ahead. So it's doing business. And then the halacha is that if you, that if you do business, there's a thing that's called the Gdusha of Shvit, the holiness of the seventh year. So the fruit is holy. When you buy the fruit, so now you have the holy fruit and the seller has money and the holiness is transferred to the money as well. So he can't use that money to buy a lotto ticket or an automobile or to pay his rent. It has a Kedushashmiz on it. And that's a problem. Starting in the uh, 19th century, uh, there became a nationalistic movement of Jews moving back to the land of Israel. It began in 1870 with the Chov of the lovers of Zion. They said, we're going back there to Israel because we're going to build it, not as individuals, but we're going to build a Jewish society in the land of Israel. Now, originally, the Chovetzim were all religious Jews. The president of the Chovetzim was the Nitziv of Valozhin, Rabbi Naftali Tzvi of Berlin. And uh, they uh, created uh, an infrastructure upon which later Herzl and the Zionist movement built. They had a fundraising apparatus to support the issue of Eretz Israel called the Kupat Reb Meir Balanes. And they encouraged emigration. And all of this was under the Turks, the Ottoman Empire, which was very hostile to the Jews. But as hostile as they were, they were not as hostile as the Tsar was. And therefore, Eretz Israel looked to be a safer place than Kishinev. And you have this stream of people, not, I saw that uh, Nefesh Benefesh says that you're going to have 5,000 uh, American Olim this year. So uh, the Chovet Zion didn't have 5,000 people. The country was small. The population was small. There were maybe eight, 900,000 people in the whole country. What the population of Yerushalayim is today alone. 
And uh, the Cholvet Zion sold this idea to a very wealthy Jew by the name of Edmund de Rothschild, Baron Rothschild. And he's, he, he was uh, 28 years old and he was a billionaire looking for a project. When you have billions of uh, dollars, etc., when you're young, you know, so you're not worried about money. You, but you want to make your mark in life. And the secretary of the Chovev Eitzion, Rabbi Shmuel Moelever, who was the Rav in Bialystok, convinced Rothschild that the project of his life should be the establishment of communities in the land of Israel. In other words, the Chovev Eitzion would supply the human part of it, the people, and Rothschild would supply the money. And so it began. So that the, the early 1870s, uh, the Baron has colonies here. They, they didn't call them then settlements, colonies. Bought land from the Arabs. Who thought the Jews were nuts. barren waste country where nothing grows, full of malaria, trachoma, and other diseases. But the Jews came and the barren supported the colonies that he built. Eventually there were 39 such settlements. Today, many of them are uh, uh, enormous cities, Rishon Lutzion, Rechovot. And uh, all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but uh, there appears the Shemitah year. So the farmers that the, were working the barons' colonies were all religious Jews. This country was founded by religious Jews. So it's a popular notion that uh, somehow it was founded only by secular Jews. It's part of the propaganda and the media and everything, all the distortions that exist in our society. So they came and they said, listen, next year is Shemitah. So they said to the baron, we have a year's vacation. We're not going to work at all. And you just send the check. Biggest kolel that you can imagine. The baron said, what am I, a friar? They go, I'm going to let this happen. Impossible. And the entire structure of the Cholive was the was just was thereby jeopardized. The Baron's gonna pull out. What's gonna be? 
So Reb Shmuel referred the matter to the Posek Ador of the time who lived in Kovne in Lithuania, Rabbi Yitzchak Ochonon Specter. And Rabbi Yitzchak Ochonon Specter, together with Rabbi David Tevel Minsker and other great Rabbonim of the time, conjured up this idea of the Heter Mechira. That in essence, the Baron was going to sell all of his lands to uh, non-Jews, to Arabs. And after the Shemitah year, he was going to, they would uh, buy it back. It was uh, somewhat like Mechiras Chometz on Pesach. It's a subterfuge. It's a loophole. But uh, it had an uh, a reason for it, because the project was going to die. And therefore, it was an emergency decree, an emergency psak. When the Hetem Mechira was first announced already in 1882, it had opposition. And Ironically enough, the opposition was led by the Nitziv, who was the president of the Chovei And he said, there's a long tshuva in it in the Hamik Shaila, not Shamik Shaila, in his Sefer of Tshuvas. Anyway, there's a long tshuva in which he writes you can't sell the land of Jews in the land of Israel to non-Jews. That is forbidden by the Torah. There's a law in the Torah, lo sechonein. You can't sell. It's an Isra So he said in order to be Mekayim a mitzvah, the Rabbonin, you are violating an Iser Daraisa. So he said it's like running away from uh, the uh, uh, threat that you have into the arms of the bear. So he opposed it. He opposed it so much he resigned as being the head of the Chovet and the Chovetzion then became secular. Leo Pinsker took it over. He went in a different direction completely. They no longer were going to ask Shilas to rabbis. Now, this Heter Mechira. Rav Cook, when he became the Rav in Yafo. So in 1905, he wrote a very famous book called Shabbat Oritz, in which he defended the Hetter Mechira. He defended it halachically, 
He defended it spiritually. He defended it practically. Rav Kook's Sefer Shabbat Haaretz is the basis of the Heter Mechira today. And the Heter Mechira has been renewed every seven years by the Rabbanut. Basically, there's an Arab that they have that they sell all of Eretz Israel to, and they're going to buy it back after Shemitah year is over. It's the Mechira's Chomets compounded and glorified. This year they sell it to a Whoever they get. It's hard to find a goy. So, uh, because of that, there were many dissenters. Some dissented because of halachic reasons. They felt that the Nitziv was correct and that Rabbi Tzvachonen overshot the mark. Some did so on the basis of what we consider political reasons. It would only advance secularism in the country. Shemitah would be forgotten completely. And then there were other reasons involved also. So it's been a contentious issue from day one for the last 150 years, 140 years. But that's one of the loopholes. And the Hepta Mechira removes all problems. You can do business. There's no Gdusha Shviz. There's nothing. It's like you're living in Los Angeles. You go to the fruit market, take whatever you want. The uh, rabbis in the land of Israel were split on the issue. However, as the Jewish population increased, it became obvious that something had to be done. And therefore, other loopholes were devised. These are all, again, based on the fact that Shemitah is only Midarabanan. We're not sure of the date. We can therefore play with it a little. When it'll be Rov Yoshvea this whole thing is going to disappear. So, one of the loopholes is called Otsar Bezdin. Otsar Bezdin is, there are no individual farmers. The Bezdin uh, somehow acquires the property of, let's say, 500 farms, orchards. And uh, all of the fruit grown in that orchard is Hefker. Bezdin takes it. And Bezdin distributes it. 
Now, we have to pay the expenses for harvesting and distributing. So Bezdin charges what is supposed to be a nominal fee to people who come to Bezdin and want to take the fruit or vegetables. Now, there are many types of oats or Bezdin in the country because there are many types of Botedin. But oats or Bezdin, again, disposes of the question of the money or doing business because you're, you're dealing with Bezdin and it's really after and you're only paying the expenses and you're not paying it directly. You're paying it to Bezdin and Bezdin is going to take care of everything for you. One, one second. Uh, this was uh, advocated by the Chazonish. And uh, the fruit and everything that you have by has a Gdush of Shviz to it. The, what does it mean it has a Gdush of Shviz? You can't just throw it out. If you don't, if, if you have to be careful how much you buy, don't overbuy. Uh, if you pour yourself a glass of wine, drink the whole glass of wine. Now, you don't have to get every last sip, but you don't leave half a glass. Dusha Shviz, uh, the peelings, the, the edible peelings, etc. So they put the you put it in a separate sack, and then eventually when it becomes inedible, then you can throw it out in the garbage. But it requires care. Something as a Gdusha Shviz requires care. So that was the second way out, which is very common. And there are many stores that are out there, Bezdin, in the Shuk, and in, in the, our neighborhood as well, there's a store. Then there's a third way out, which the rabbis in Yerushalayim in the 19th century observed, and that is food that is grown by the Arabs, not by the Jews. Yavul Nachri, the produce of non-Jews. So in our time, that also is Yivunachri, imported. Now, Israel doesn't import that much. The bread in Israel is not a problem because most of the grain is imported from the United States. There's a special law still applied in America that the, the grain to Israel goes free. And that, uh, therefore, uh, the, the Shemitah question doesn't apply to the bread. But uh, there is other things that are imported, but not much. Now, cucumbers in Israel are almost 80% from Jordan. 
the cucumber would not be a problem. But uh, the tomatoes, the lettuce, everything else is grown here. Our, our, uh... So for that, there are other solutions that have been devised over the centuries. The Chazonish himself came up with a solution of hydroponics or hothouses. Today we call it Gush Katif. It's not grown in the ground, in the sand. It's grown above ground, in beds. So technically you avoid the Shemitah problem. And you even avoid Gdusha Shviz there. So uh, that's very widespread. It's a big business all year round. So all year round people buy it because it's without bugs. But the Shemitah year, we buy it because it does not fall under the rubric of Shemitah. Then there's a fourth area. There are places in the state of Israel that are not Eretz Israel. The Arava, part of the Arava, south of the Dead Sea. Uh, for instance, uh, um, most of the Negev, they're not part of Eretz Israel. As far as these dinim are concerned, and therefore produce grown there is like produce that's grown in Iowa, and there's no problem with shvi's there. So these are all methods uh, to somehow allow us to remember the Shemitah, but to have the ability to eat whatever we want to eat during the year. So there are different stores. Uh, There are stores that say we are Heter Mechira. That's the store. There are stores that say we're Otzer Bezdin. That's Otzer Bezdin. There are stores that say, especially here in Yushalayim, we're buying from the Arabs. So there are people that don't want to buy from the Arabs for nationalistic reasons. That's another problem. Though the government wants to say that it's important that the Arab population, not only within Israel, but in the uh, West Bank as well, uh, should have uh, economic stability. And then there are stores that say, we only have fruits and vegetables from this uh, part that is within the state of Israel, but not part of it. And uh, depending on the stringency that you want to employ, uh, the choice is yours. In the uh, Haredi world, that the Mechira is not acceptable. That's, I don't, 
I shouldn't say it, but uh, I think it's more political than halachic. But it's not accepted. So therefore, we have Otzer Bezdin, and uh, we have uh, the other Yavu uh, Nochri, especially here in Yerushalayim. Now there was a dispute between, not a dispute, a discussion between the Beisosa, between Rabbi Yosef Garo and the Mabit. almost till our time followed the more lenient view of Rabbi Yosef Karo. However, now there are shops that say we, uh, because uh, uh, Rav Efrati and uh, others uh, took the opinion of the Mabit. So now there are shops that say that we have produce from Arabs, from the non-Jews, but it still has a Gdusha Shviz on it. And I think there is such a, a shop here in Shari Chesed. There's a general Otsar Bezdin that's called Otsar Horetz. Uh, they have shops in the uh, Kiryat Moshe, uh, throughout the, but not in Rachavia. Here, almost all the supermarkets, etc., are purely Heter Mechira. So uh, that's pretty much uh, what the situation is. Uh, question of flowers. Uh, so that m- most flowers today do not have a fragrance anymore. They don't raise them to have fragrance. And therefore they're only for decoration and therefore their shviz is allowed. Uh, again, but for, there are flower shops that uh, have uh, 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 that say what the situation is regarding that. So again, if you have a particular question regarding a particular item and you think I can help you, you can call me. But uh, generally speaking, I think this outline should suffice and that we should be zolche to a great, good year, really a shnas shemitah, where Torah should grow among Kuala Yisrael and we should have only good news one from another. Shabbat Shalom. Just die. Just die? Yeah. It was very clear, Rabbi. Thank you.